Welcome to the Sports Marketing Huddle, a podcast that looks at all things marketing in the world of sports. I'm your host, Rob Cressy, founder of Bacon Sports. And joining me today is Megan Wells, co-owner of Two Birds Films, a boutique creative and production house. Megan, super excited to have you on the show. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Can you give a quick background on who you are and what you do? Sure. So I am a director and producer by trade. Um, I've been working pretty much universally in sports for the last 20 years. Um, Started my career with Turner Sports, covering everything from NASCAR and PGA to NBA, and then moved over to Red Bull into the world of uh, unexpected and wild and non-traditional sports. Um, Was an executive producer in their global office for a number of years. Uh, and then came back to the States uh, a couple years ago to start my own boutique um, production company along with my business partner who is a, a DP, director of photography by, by trade. And, and the two of us work together to create amazing content, not only in the sports world, but in the editorial and the multi-episodic and documentary space. So what I want to dig into is your mindset behind creating amazing content. And the the way that I want to launch this is what first attracted me to want to connect with you on LinkedIn was the description of what you had there. And I'll sort of break this down sentence by sentence. We'll start with this. The first thing you say is, I'm an idea person and an executor. And I think this is so important for all creators because you have to be someone who's the total package who can do both things. Because when I first graduated college before I had any business experience whatsoever, I thought there was a thing where like people just hire you to brainstorm and create ideas. And little did I learn uh, several years later that if you create the ideas, now you should also be the person to execute them because that's how things happen. I think it depends on what infrastructure you're in, right? So if you come from the broadcast network space, if you come from more of the entertainment space, working with film studios in Hollywood, or if you come from the ad space, uh, the nomenclature, the titles and the job responsibilities are slightly different in all of those. Um, Certainly what I've learned working on both the network side of things and on the brand side of things, and now as a business owner myself, is I think the power in content creation is seeing an idea through start to finish. Um, So if you can be the person that not only thinks really strategically about the creative, uh, makes that match the brand initiative or the broadcast initiative or the client initiative, and then you can have your hands in it and see it all the way through to completion, it's gonna be a stronger and more cohesive product in the end than if all of those parts and pieces were subbed out to to different people. It's like a game of telephone at a certain point. We all used to play that as kids. You know, the message, the more people get involved in it, the more the message changes and the more the authenticity is is at risk, I think. So the next thing, you like solving problems and telling stories. And I would love for you to expand on this because the way marketing is done best now is by telling a story that then solves a problem. I think it's, I use the, the phrase reverse engineering a lot when I deal with clients and, and we use it a lot in the business at Two Birds. Um, it's one of the first questions we'll ask is what's the problem you're trying to solve? And a lot of times marketers and brands know that answer very quickly because they've got 
you know, they've done a lot of that research. They have the data and the analytics people behind them. They know who they're trying to talk to and what they're trying to achieve. But in a lot of spaces, they may not have all those answers. They may make some assumptions. Um, and they may get some of the audience demographic wrong, or they may think they know who they're talking to, but really the people who are listening are sitting in an entirely different sandbox. And so I think, I think having this idea around problem solving is it's not as simple as saying, I have a product, I want you to buy it. Now in the way that this universe works and the way that media has evolved and storytelling has evolved, uh, the action that you want the consumer and the audience to take can be very different. It's not always, it's not always as simple as A to B. Maybe you want them to become brand loyalists, but you don't need them to buy anything. Or maybe you want them to get involved into a cause, but you don't need them to buy anything. Or maybe it really is as simple as you want them to convert to purchase. And all of those stories, while they may come from the same place, are executed very differently, use a different language to speak to audiences in those places based on what you want them to do or achieve. So you love to tell the right stories in the right way for the right clients. So how do you find the right clients? I mean, that's a wish list, right? We all want to tell, <laughs> we all want to tell the best stories for the most fun people or the most interesting people. Um, I think I've been really fortunate to work with a lot of different types of brands, with a lot of different initiatives, with athletes, musicians, artists, people who are doing good in the community. And I have found at this point in my career that if I can work to tell authentic stories, those are the stories that give me the most joy and those are the ones that I'm most passionate about. Now, an authentic story can be an athlete story and an authentic story can be a story about a social innovator who's working for global change and they're both equally interesting. So it's not, when I say that, I'm not saying I want to work with this brand and not that brand. What I'm saying is I want to find the truth and the authenticity and the things that resonate with people from a people-to-people -people perspective, from an emotional perspective, um, not just a consumerized perspective. So along these same lines, one of the things in our first conversation that you mentioned to me is brands can create entertaining, inspiring, and educating content. And when they do, it opens up a whole new world. So why don't more brands think this way? It seems like a lot of times they're put in this box when really there's so many opportunities to build the world in your image and tell a variety of stories. I think there's no simple answer to that. Um, I think there's a lot of subjectivity in there, quite frankly. There's um, the way that the industry is changing at such a rapid clip right now. The, um, the broadcast options and the transmission options and the way that you interact with your audiences are changing minute by minute. Um, and I think you know, you've got brands who maybe are used to, to playing in a very traditional space. It's worked for them before. Why change up a good thing? If you want to invest your money in a 30, 60, 90, and that's where you think it's going to work best because it has for the last 15 years, that often is going to be a difficult conversion into a new space to make. Um, you know, then you've got startups and renegade brands and brands who are really forward thinking and want to play in different spaces um, who are thinking differently about where they can put their messages and how to create content. Um, I, I use Patagonia and fish people as a good example of this in a lot of spaces that that is a brand that essentially subsidized and got behind, um, 
you know, a very, a very long format piece of content that wound up in the syndicated space that had a very specific purpose. I mean, it, it wanted to convert their audience to, uh, to act and to, to create change. And there, it was a social impact message. And I think there's a tremendous amount of data about, you know, millennials and the, and the audiences that we're going after these days and how millennials are a very specific group that want to be associated with a cause. They want to have a social flag to fly. They, they view it as part of their identity. And what a great strategic play that was on Patagonia's part. It is saying we're creating content that lets you know that we stand for a cause and we're behind something. And we want you to get involved too. And oh, by the way, generally speaking, from a strategic perspective, we know you're going to need gear when you're doing these sorts of things. So then who are you going to choose to buy that gear? It kind of, it sits in your brain in a different place, even though it's inspirational long format content, it's probably much more effective than just putting a 30 second ad there saying buy this backpack or buy this raincoat. One of the books I'm reading right now is actually Let My People Go Surfing by the founder of Patagonia. And what I enjoyed so much about it is I want to buy Patagonia clothing, apparel, whatever, because I understand the story and the cause and the mission behind it. And I feel so much more connected to the brand because I know more about the founder and his why. And it's crazy of how many brands out there that we consume or are exposed to that we don't know this story, but the opportunity to tell those stories are, are so available right now that it doesn't have to be a book. You could just tell a micro story on Instagram all the way up to creating a documentary. And I think the, the fun part of that is understanding which parts and pieces and which levers to pull so that those all work in context. So you're reading the book and you have an inspirational and emotional con uh, connectivity to it. I watched the, the long form piece of content on, you know, whatever OTT platform I've just watched it on. We both have the same feeling at the end of it, but we've interacted in different spaces. And so the strategy behind that is understanding that the audiences are going to be in different places at different times, searching for something for a different reason. But if the end result at the, is the same, then you've achieved your goal with all of those pieces of content, content pulling on the same string and working together. So another thing I want to talk about is you mentioned to me how you can get a better ROI by pooling together the finances from the different teams on a piece of content. Can you help elaborate on that a little bit more for me? I think from a business perspective, brands are going to perk up and they're going to listen when they understand that their money is being spent in a very efficient way. Um, and we make the joke a lot uh, about how, you know teaching a brand to tin cup when working with our clients. So our client may sit in, in the brand department or they may sit in the PR department or they may sit in the production part, department. And a lot of times what, what we'll say at the beginning of a project, you know, and, and it's one of the things that, that we kind of sell two birds on is this idea of let's think really strategically about how you and your organization can get a better ROI out of this content. And that may mean you as the brand person need to have a conversation with whoever is sitting in the PR department to figure out on the same shoot, can we create content that works for both of you? We've pulled your budget. You've both gotten deliverables out of this. We know that the voice, tone, and feel of this content is the same because it's originating from the same production. 
and it's much more efficient than having each of you as individual siloed departments go out, find your production resources and your creatives and create things independently that may not sync up together. Um, and a lot of what I will counsel on, on this part, you know, the front end of the project is you don't want to be so stratified in the market that an audience member looks at two pieces of content and doesn't understand that they're coming from the same place. So shifting gears to something a little bit more personal that you said, and it said early on in your career, people helped you. And the more selfless we can all be, the better. And I absolutely love that. And I feel like there needs to be more of that everywhere. So how did that resonate with you uh, in your career so far? I think when I look back, um, you know, I, I started as an intern, you know, and interns got people coffee and they picked up people's dry cleaning and you were lucky if you got to sit in in an edit session and absolutely the sky was opening up and showing you stars if you actually got to go on a shoot as an intern, you know, and, and the thing about starting as an intern is you rely on people who are more advanced than you to kind of pull you along and show you what you can, what you can see. Um, so you're relying on people's kindness. You're relying on people to be mentors. And those are the people that pull you up the ladder. You learn so much from them at the beginning as you move through. Um, and I had a mentor tell me, you know, you, you never kick as you're going up because you never know who you're going to need coming down. And it's it stuck with me so strongly because it's true that in this business, especially the world is so small and we're so interconnected and people know people who know people who have seen you work. And if you are one of those people that doesn't want to help and closes yourself off and doesn't want to foster new talent and doesn't want to learn in both directions, right? So I would say as a creative, my journey towards learning is never over. I am never done growing. And I can learn just as much from somebody who's been in the business 10 years longer than me as I can who's been, was from somebody who's been in it 10 years less than me. <laughs> you know, um, and surrounding yourself with people who have different perspectives, who are at different points in their career, who have different approaches to creating content, to telling stories, it only benefits you in the end. And I think creating that web of connectivity only makes everyone stronger. Um, you know, I could dive deeper into that as, as a woman who's working in sports, you know, coming into it at a time where there weren't a lot of us in these sorts of positions. And, you know, having to figure out how you navigate that road is, is a different story too. And, and a lot of it is grit and determination. And a lot of it is humility and being okay asking for help. And then a lot of it is the people that decide to bring you up with them. How do you develop grit? I think if there is an easy answer to that, we'd all have it, no? <laughs> and it's also subjective. Your version of grit is probably different than mine is. Um, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, I view, I view my own personal version of grit as, you know, I'm, I'm scrappy, I'm tenacious. I don't do well when people tell me no. It only makes me want to go harder and faster. You know, I'm a middle child. We could get into the psychology of that and figure out where that one came from pretty easily. Um, but I think I'm always impressed with the people who are, who, who are not willing to just sit on their haunches, the people who want more, who want to figure out and ask more questions. Um, I always love a good challenge. And what I mean from that is 
I would love it if people challenged me on my ideas because number one, it makes me explain them and it makes me more solid in them. And number two, it makes me understand where you're coming from and it makes me understand that you're invested. Yeah. When I think of grit, for me, it's, I want something so bad that I'm not going to let anything stop me. And oftentimes that's very difficult when you've got roadblocks that are constantly in front of you and you're like, how in the world am I going to overcome these? And actually a great example of this is this morning, uh, I reread the book notes from Ryan Holiday's book, Obstacle is the Way. And for me, it's one of my favorite books because the, the basis of it is about finding ways to overcome obstacles and turn the obstacle into the way. And I think by reading that book and then constantly refreshing my mind on it, it doubles down on my grit mindset. And then going back to another thing that you mentioned about always be learning, I think that's one of the, the best things that everyone, both creatives and non-creatives, can instantly adopt because I know that my life changed, one, when I became self-aware, and then two, when I had a growth mindset, when I said, holy smokes, like, I felt like Neo in the Matrix, where they're like, I can learn judo, like, Whoa! and now from the creative side, I'm starting to build a mindset, one, I'm building a mindset, and then two, I'm building a creative skill set. So when I started my company six and a half years ago, I didn't know Photoshop, audio or video editing, live streaming, social media. I'd never been a host. I'd never thrown an event before. I didn't have cameras. I didn't know lighting. Like I didn't know anything. But guess what? If you take this growth mindset, all of a sudden, the world starts to become a lot more fun because you get to start building the fun things that you want in your mind that you can then accomplish and create. I think it's all about perception. We have the choice to frame something positively or negatively. We have the choice to frame something as an obstacle or an opportunity. Um, you know, that's not to say that there are certain things that are objectively very difficult to get past. I don't want to diminish anyone's experience there, but why not make, why not take the choice to, to change an obstacle into an opportunity or from a creative development perspective you know, okay, this is a problem that nobody else has found a solution to. That doesn't mean there isn't a solution to it. It might just mean you need to turn the box on a different side and take a look at it in a different way. Um, you know, I think, I think guardrails and um, boundaries are important. But the reason I think guardrails and boundaries are important is because I think I, as a creative, um, and, and we operate this way as a company, you know, two birds will, will, will say this quite a bit too, is that, you know, we need to know where the boundaries are so we can push past them. We can break through them. We can offer you something really traditional that maybe sits inside the box, but we're also going to be really excited to kind of blow through that wall and offer you something unexpected. And sometimes it's the unexpected things that make people really take notice. Megan, I really enjoy your mindset and the way that you think about all of this. Where can people connect with you? Um, you can, of course, go to our website, which is twobirdsfilms.com. Um, you can see, you can take a look at what we do and what we've worked on in the past, who we are, and, and the sandboxes we want to play in. And I'm on all the normal social spaces too. LinkedIn is a good place to get it, or you can email me directly um, at meg at twobirdsfilms.com. 
And as always, I would love to hear from you about this episode. Did this cause you to think differently or take action? You can hit me up on Instagram at Rob underscore Cressy, on Twitter at Rob Cressy, or on LinkedIn. That's it. That's all.